Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Good to have you with us, folks. We are honored to be joined by a major influence and innovator in the music industry. Ken Williams is a prolific songwriter, the writer and publisher of more than 300 songs. Some of the other hats Ken Williams has worn include singer and record producer. And just to tell you about some of the songs that he wrote, they would include the signature hit song of The Main Ingredient, Everybody Plays the Fool Sometime, which was also recorded by the great Aaron Neville, by the way. And then a few others would be Love, Love, Love by Donny Hathaway, Sweet Music, Soft Lights and You, recorded by Tom Jones and R. Bailey, also by Millie Jackson and Isaac Hayes, Seven Lonely Nights by The Four Tops, It's True, I'm Gonna Miss You So, recorded by the late Carolyn Franklin, Keep On Loving Me, recorded by the late Teddy Pendergrass. It's a great pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for calling in. It's my honor, man. My pleasure, my pleasure. What would you say, you know, we mentioned that these these different hats that you've worn, songwriter, record producer, singer, what would you say your biggest passion is? My uh, biggest passion is writing songs. The writing aspect? Yes. What is it about the writing that you find so satisfying? It gives me a chance to connect with a lot of people. Plus, it puts a lot of me out there. Hmm. Do you still write songs to this day? Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm starting all over again, man. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm working on one now. I was just listening at it a little bit there. It's going to be a monster, too. The name of the boy is Keith. We got to do something about it. It's a hell of a song. But anyway, I'm still working. I go from R&B to classical. It don't make that much difference, as long as it's music. Do you write at a piano or at a guitar? What's the process like for you? Keyboard. I got a piano. I use the motif and the computer. And by that way, I can play any instrument they got. (laughs) 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 Want a violin? I can play it. It's just amazing what you can do with technology today. Uh, Technology is great. Well, take us back a little bit. What was life like growing up for you? Growing up, well, I was... I had a a very strict parenthood back there. They didn't like too much for me to be running the streets. So anything I had to do, I had to sneak and hope I didn't get caught. (laughs) Because <laughs> if it did, that's trouble. But I went to a, to a school. It was a Peck High School. That was in Fernandina Beach, Florida. You don't even find that today. But anyway, it was back in that day. I went there, and I was in the music. When I was there, I was in the, the band, the, the chorus, or whatever they had to do with music. I was in it. Graduated from there, joined the Air Force. In the Air Force, I wound up in the music there, too. I had a group called the Chuckalucks. We represented the Air Force all around. Got out the Air Force, and I was in the music here in New York City. Got kind of rough in New York City, so I went back to Florida, and I joined them with a, a band, and we'd play a little jazz 
in the clubs. But then I got the thing for New York, and I had to leave the jazz and come back to the Big Apple. And I got here, and I started. It was a little rough at first, but if you keep on pushing, you get there. And then I had people pushing me, and I had people working with me, and they liked what I did. So from there, I wound up working with Erwin Schuster at TM Music. They helped me out. And we did a few things. That's the song I had with him. We did for Diane Doobie, I think it was. There's a few others we had back there. I worked at BMI. And that's when I ran into Dave Kaepernick, which was doing Peaches and Herb. I worked with the late, great Van McCoy. And when he decided he was going to go out on his own, he decided to tell Dave to hire me. So I started working with Peaches and Herb. And I produced about three or four or five albums with them. I don't know. They did good. We did good. From there, that's when I branched out on my own. And uh, got with a, a writer and Rudy Clark. We did the Globetrotters thing. That was a goodie for us. We did the Globetrotters cartoon series. We did the music for that. Mm. Along with... Holly Greenfield and Leo Stacker and all of them, it was fun. Wasn't that big a payday, but it was great. <laughs> and I went on own. And then we went from there, I got in touch with a guy named J.R. Bailey. Started writing with him, produced the album on him. And that went out pretty good. And that's when it led up to the Tom Jones thing and all the rest of it. But the main thing was when I got to doing my own stuff, that's when it was getting, that's when it got good. You know, when you sit back there and see the stuff that you put together come out and slap you in the face and it sounds great, that's a heck of a feeling, man. With the Teddy Pendergrass and all of this stuff, I said, whoa, and Billy Jackson, and whoa. It was just a great Diane Hathaway, and okay, Aaron Neville, and... We could ask for anything more. And the latest one, when I wound up with Alicia Keys, that did it. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I wrote a song back in 72 or 73 back there called Bet You Don't Know, Let Me Prove My Love to You. And it was recorded by the main ingredient for RCA. So, really, Jack, I mean, uh, Alicia and them was looking for some music, I guess, through the catalog over there. And they heard the song, and she decided she wanted to use the music. That's Kanye West, and they wanted to use the music. So they used the music, and she did the lyrics, and I said, thank you. It was great. <laughs> there it was like a Grammy. So what do you want? They won a Grammy. It has to be incredible to have written something that has so much life to it. Oh, you tell me, it brings the best out of me. <laughs> Back and I just listened to myself. I said, well, I got to stop this. People think I'm crazy. Give myself a Grammy. What are you talking about? <laughs> but it was great. It was great, great, great. I've had a good shot at the music, and I'm still going at it. Were your parents at all musical people? My mother, she played for a church for 40 years. 
I used to sit back and watch her, and when she'd get up off the keyboard, so I'd go try to play the same thing. I mean, I get it as good, but I get damn close. <laughs> and from there, I had a cousin who decided he wanted me to go on a talent show, and I was chicken, but he talked me into saying, okay. But then when it came to going to a different, I was in Fernandina, Florida, and that's, that's, that's hardly known by anybody. And the show was in Jacksonville, so he wanted me to go on the show. But my parents say, you can't take that boy out here and go over there. But he talked him into letting me go. I went over, and we sang. And come to find out, I won the damn top, the talent contest, singing Roy Hamilton's You Never Walk Alone. And I said, whoa, boy. And from there, it was great. So he got me started into singing all around. And then it was, we did a few of the little clubs around there in Fernandina and Jacksonville and out on the beach singing. But it was good. It was good. That was my first time being on the stage out there in the public. I did a lot of it in school, but in the public, whoa. I'm nervous as hell, man. I sit back and I think about I think about the times when you go out on the stage to sing and you're not sure. Hey, hey that's rough. I had my group. We went out and we sang on the show with Jackie Wilson. And boy, was I nervous. We didn't have no lead sheets, no 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 music charts, anything. I played the piano and we sang. I didn't know about all that stuff. But anyway, when we started, after about the first second time on stage, the band kind of figured out where we were going, and they they joined in and we had a ball out there. Jackie gave us the compliment. That was a great show. That was at the Brevoid, I think, in Brooklyn, before it was removed. But that was a good one. We sang all over. Up in Canada and Montana and all around. Then we got to New York. By the way, I want to tell you something. This is funny. When I was in the Air Force, we wanted to come to New York. We drove from Montana to New York to appear to see if we could get a recording contract. This was with the group, the Chuckalucks. We got here. We whistled our way in to see a, a producer named, uh, what was his name, Marv Holzman. And they said, do you have an appointment? He said, yeah, well, we called them from Montana, and he said, I set up an appointment. We didn't have no appointment, though. So they got us in to see him. And we got in, we sang, and the next day he had us in the recording studio. And from there, there's a gentleman outside, waiting room, heard us. He said, when you guys, how would you like to go on the Ed Sullivan show? He said, oh, hell yeah, man. Down to our last couple of days in New York, he said, yeah. So we met him at the Ed Sullivan building, and sure enough, Ed Sullivan came downstairs, talked with us, going to put us on the show, represent the Air Force. We was up there, and the next day we called up and see if we could get an extension on our leave so we could take the show. But they had changed squadron commanders on us, and he told us to get our behind back to the base or we're going to be AWOL. Ed Sullivan talked to him, tried to get him to change his mind. He wouldn't change his mind. So that was the end of my Ed Sullivan show. And boy, you talking about a hurt group? We were hurt. 
But you know you can't win them all. Did you aspire to the level of success? I mean, was it was it there an end result in mind? Did you want to have a lot of songs published, or did it just kind of happen? Mine just kind of happened. I don't, you know, some some writers can go in and say, "Well, we can sit down, we're going to write three or four songs today." Mine don't work that way. I got to, you know, have some sort of an idea what I want to do. If I feel like writing one, I'll get in and put it down. But I, I'm not a robot. Go to say, today, well, I'm going to write this song. No, I got to feel it. Got to get that flow. I'll play some music on the keyboard and get a groove going. But in the process, I also have a melody going in my head. And once I get that part down, then I just slap words to it. Or if I get an idea for a story, I write that down and put music to it, one or the other. That's where I get a lot of my ideas just coming up in the middle of the night. You be sitting up there thinking, oh, yeah, grab the phone, put a little bit on there, and then save it till the next day, get up and put it together. That helps when you have a little sort of a studio in in your home so you can get down and do it whenever you get ready. But that's my process of writing. And you live in New York? I'm out in Long Island now. Long Island, okay. Yeah, get out here where I can get some air. Get quiet where I can think. You like it? Well, I like it. My wife ain't too happy about all that stuff, honey. She getting to the point where she kind of understands, and she likes both Long Island and Manhattan because that's the energy there for her. I think it's great. Go in and get the energy and get the heck out of there. <laughs> what I do. But you see, Manhattan is it's all right when you got a real good thing to go for over there. But if you're going over there just to be going, you can go broke going to Manhattan. You got it. It ain't nothing like getting you know cheap meal over there. You got it two people. You gonna spend at least a hundred sixty dollars? I said, damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's rough, but you do it. When you got to meet somebody, you go. When you got to do something, you go. If one day you decide you want to go over and just enjoy the city, you go. But me, I sit out here and I get to writing my stuff. And then when I got something I want to show, that's when I go. See how far we can get. You know, it was a, a few days ago, and... Somebody was, I ran into somebody and they said, so who you got coming up on the show? And I said, well, we got Ken Williams coming on. And he said, who's Ken Williams? And I said, you know the song, Everybody Plays the Fool? And immediately, this guy starts singing the song to me. Oh, yeah. And that's one of those songs. It's like, you you just, you mention it and bam. Yeah, it's been going since 72. <laughs> that thing has been going since 72. And it's still going. That's one of the classics. Absolutely. That's a classic. What's it like to write something so iconic? It's mind-boggling to sit back and hear it every time. you, When you hear it, you sit back and say, wow, I did that. It's mind-boggling. And people come up and they congratulate you and you hey, you mention the song like you say. Everybody starts singing. Everybody, I say, oh boy, 
<laughs> and do it by heart. What was the Always. inspiration on it? Well, this was been rude enough. You know, we were sitting down trying to figure out something. And we just talking. Man, everybody play a fool sometimes. That's <laughs> it. That was it. I get to the keyboard, get the paper and pencil, and here we go. That's when we took it over to the main ingredient. They were rehearsing in the studio for a show or something. We went over and we played it for them. And they said, well, it's going to be in our next album. It's all right with me. But from what I understood, Cuba hated the damn song. Really? He said he didn't like it. He said he played it for, for Charlie Pride, and Charlie Pride said it was garbage. And uh, Tony said, no, we're going to do it. And they put it in, and they went out on tour and came back. The song was all over the radio. He was happy as hell then. It's <laughs> their biggest hit. And from there on out, it was, what's next? <laughs> I was wondering why he never came back and said, you got any more songs for us to do? <laughs> it went to Jersey. Wasn't too much success over there, but at least we got the big one. All came well and good. Now, you were mentioning a moment ago one of the other co-writers of the song, Rudy Clark. Yeah, Rudy, he moved. He left New York. He said he was tired of the music business. He retired and went fishing boat. He went and bought him a boat or something. He went fishing, go fishing. Tell us about him. What kind of guy is Rudy Clark? Well, he's one that, likes, like I said, he'll come in and say, we're going to write three or four songs today, but that wasn't me. But we did write a few things together. Yeah, we did. We did a few things together. The thing uh, with uh, the four tops. It was first done by Tribal Exchange, I think the name of the group was. They were good. And the things we did for the Globe Trotters, we wrote together. I'm trying to think of all the rest of the stuff. We had a few of them we did that never really took off. We had a few things we did with Inez Fox when she was there. I'm trying to think of who else. Harmon, Bethia. Mm. Can't think of too many more, but he had a bunch of stuff before me. He had the shoop shoop and all that other stuff. He had he had a nice. I used to cut demos for him, sing his demos. Everyone I sang, he got a recording on it. Hmm. So he did good. So we wound up writing a few things together. I'm curious to know of the songs that you've written that have been recorded. Would you say that there has been one that impressed you the most? The recording of a song you wrote that you thought was the most interesting? Hmm. Most interesting. I would say, you know, it's a toss-up between Love, Love, Love and, and, uh, and uh, Everybody Plays the Fool. Because the way Love, 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 as a matter of fact, the way I did the album for Gerald Bailey, the way it was done, I did most of the tracks. I did six of the tracks in my living room on a TIAC machine. And then I would transfer 
what I did to this to a eight or what is it, eight or six eight track and associated recording studio, and then I would add the rest of the music and stuff to it, and Bailey would play the drums. So most of the stuff I was playing in my living room, and just had to bounce stuff around, had a tambourine on my foot. Oh, okay, boy, if you could have seen me back then, you would crack up putting this stuff together. But it worked. <laughs> it got a deal. Love, love, love was the one. Took it over there, and guy Peter Shakari heard it. He said, uh, what y'all want? Back then, he said, well, we'll, we'll let you have it for $2,500. He said, you got a deal. Boy, we like to pay us out. I didn't want to go over there. I said, man, I did this in my living room. People going to know this. But it sound good when they put it over them big speakers. And from there, he pressed it up. He said, what's the B-side? I said, oh, shit. I said, well, we're working on that now. So back home. And sit down at the keyboard with with the instruments and came over with the B side. Took it in. He put it on there. Say, okay. And about a couple of days later, about a week later, he said, We need an album to follow up. I said, Oh, now we got a problem. So I was back at house and I did about four or five more tracks into the studio, dubbed stuff on it. I played the bass, the piano, the the vibes, the organ, or whatever else they had in there. And then when he finally got it going good, we got where he was going to put some money behind the rest of this stuff, so we hired a few of your professional musicians, and we went into the real studio, and you would tell the difference in the sounds on the album. That one song we had on there was After I Was Heaven on Earth. Now, that was a hell of a set of songs. That was done with Rudy Clark. Gerald Bailey. Now, that was one hell of a song because it was two. I put two into one. I think it must have ran about eight or ten minutes. But it was worth every penny of it because it sounds good. And then when he put the album out, the next thing I know, Tom, that uh, Peter Shakarik had sold during tracks to Gordon Mills, who was in charge of Tom Jones, Ingebert Humperdinck, and all that stuff. So he paid us. They paid him, and everybody was happy. Who would you say has taught you the most about the music business? Let me see. I'm trying to think of who I dealt with that were really... The ones I had to, that I dealt with was like... Irvin Schuster from TM Music and and Dave Kaplitz, CBS man. Those are the two that I was working with that gave me an insight on what it was, along with Van McCoy, because he and I work things out, work out some songs of ours together. But it just being very observant and just, you know, Retain what you what you what you what you observe. <laughs> you got to retain the information that you get, and then you get somebody like my wife, who's into the business. She also works with me on what I'm doing. She gives me some insights on the other end of it. But I would say it's between the Dave Kaplics and the yeah, because he had me work with him through CBS doing all that stuff. That's when I got into it. 
And from there, I had to peel out and do my own thing. But if you sit back and listen to some of the guys you're working with, they give you all kind of information. You just got to realize what it is and deal with it. And use your own instincts. I use my instincts a lot on certain things. If I get a feeling for something, I go after it. And I hear I have a very good ear for things. I hear a song on the the radio they put out. I tell them, that's going to be a hit. And nine times out of ten, it's up there doing it. Well, what is it then? What is it that that you think makes a song a hit? Can you put it into words what makes something good? What makes, what my position is, what makes me think it's a hit, if it can jolt me, if it makes me feel good, it's something I can catch on to and something that makes me start to moving and I'm in that groove, hey, I recall it every time. Recall it every time I hear it. I say, boy, that's going to be a goodie. <laughs> I tell you, I should have been an A&R man. <laughs> now, does your wife have a favorite song of yours? I think she likes the one, Thanks for Being You. Because she tried to get me to sing that one all the time. <laughs> you sing to her a lot? No. <laughs> <laughs> He might tell me I stink. <laughs> oh, well, I do a lot of it. I do a lot of singing around and bouncing around the house. She sings also, so she has her group music, so that's it. Uh-huh. What is the best thing about being Ken Williams? Well, you know, just being Ken Williams is great because I think I'm try- I try to... Try to, I try to treat others like I want them to treat me, and I enjoy being me. And when I get to the point where I can't enjoy being me, then I'm in trouble. So what would you say to our listeners? I always like to, to end my interviews with a very open-ended. I just like to give the guests the stage. Just let them take the microphone to anyone who's listening in. To anyone that's listening in, there's no limit to what you can do if you really want to do it. Put your mind to it and go after it wholeheartedly, and you will succeed. It might take a little time, but you will succeed in it. I know, because it took me a little while to get it together. But then again, as you can see, it worked, and I'm still at it. Working in something that you enjoy is the best thing you could ever have. That's a blessing itself. It beats the nine to five and the golden watches, but if you got something you enjoy that gets down to your gut and makes you feel good, go after it. And in the long run, you will succeed. Time will prove it. (laughs) Well... You know, I I put all these labels on you at the beginning. Songwriter, singer, record producer. How would you define Ken Williams? Who is Ken Williams at heart? Ken Williams at heart. Let's see, how would I put him? He's an individual, a person who loves life, loves people, 
loves family, loves to be loved. I like that. <laughs> well, Mr. Williams, thank you very much for sharing with us. Hey, man, anytime. You have to kiss me before these senior moments kick in. <laughs> <laughs> and they kick I don't remember nothing. Well, I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Hey, man, thank you for the invite. All right. Until next time. You got it. Bye-bye. Bye now. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music, composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour, and if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Paul Leslie. Thanks for listening. Be good. <laughs>